Today we're reading from Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go, who will go for us? Then he said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thank you, Holly. Um, I do have an icebreaker today for the membership class, and it actually is from Holly. Uh, it's from something we did a long time ago, and this is not a joke, this is real, and uh, the question is, if you had to give a 10-minute talk um, teaching us something, is this how it goes, something like this? Uh, go ahead, what is it? A 10-minute TED talk on, on a, any topic uh, to teach somebody something, what would it be? And so, come to the membership class, and I can't wait. Even though you're trying to make fun of me, I will not have it, and so... I'm offended, and it's great. Uh, my name is Russell. I'm the pastor here for our community, and uh, what we've been doing is looking at different um, spiritual disciplines, um, walking us towards Easter, and um, excited about today. You might be like, we sang one song, and then we sat down. Um, it's because today we're going to talk about worship, and I want to leave us a lot of space to actually do that through song uh, together, and uh, it should be a really beautiful thing. Last week, we talked about um, the idea of spiritual discipline of fasting, and that was really a way of setting up uh, the Lenten season. And so if you're curious about Lent or fasting, some of those practices, um, please go back and listen to that on YouTube or on our podcast. Um, but last week, we really kind of landed on this idea that fasting is feasting. Fasting is feasting. So we actually deny ourselves something because we believe that we can gain sustenance outside of ourselves. And then uh, we had this challenge for the next six Thursdays. We have five more Thursdays uh, that we're going to be fasting as a community. We stop eating uh, after dinner on Wednesday, skip lunch and or skip skip breakfast and lunch on Thursday. Um, and go a full 24 hours through, through Thursday and eat dinner. Uh, this week, our prayer focus is going to be, we've put these on our website and on our Instagram, but our prayer focus is going to be our city this week. And so it's COVID recovery, rent prices, anybody? Um, government workers, violence in our city, and uh, city renewal. And so that is going to be our fasting focus uh, for this Thursday. Um, and then one more, uh, one other word uh, on masks. Uh, Pear Dance, um, has, uh, which I love, has dropped the um, vaccine requirements for our space, which is great. We don't, uh, we don't want to have to abide by those, but we want to be responsible. And they've also dropped the masks, but I'm asking you today, um, we, we didn't get the information out quick enough, so I'm, thank you so much for wearing your mask today, and uh, we're going to convene on, and talk about that some this week, and then we'll let you know on Thursday via our newsletter. Um, so if, you don't, if you're not signed up for that, we push out a lot of information on there. We're not that bad at communicating, and so I'm pretty proud of us in that way. Um, and so we'll push out all the information there. So uh, let's pray and talk about worship today. 
And so, Father, I just pray that you would meet us here by your Spirit. Uh, Would you not just put information in our heads today, because we know that we're so much more than minds, but we're body and we're soul and we're spirit. And so I pray today that you, um, maybe first and foremost, would remind us that you are our God and that you are good, that you are a God who can handle our doubts and our wrestlings and our hopes and our fears. And so I pray right now, if we need strength, would you be our strength? I pray right now, if we need understanding, would you give us understanding? If we need hope today, would you be our hope? And I just pray right now that the words and the meditations of my heart would be um, pleasing to you as we talk about worship. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to begin with a quote um, from David Foster Wallace. um, And he says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the wicked mother goddess or the four noble truths or some infrangible set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. We'll just start there, right? I believe that each and every one of us has this sort of longing inside of us to give ourselves to something, right? To, to give away our attention, to give away our affection, our time, and our money, um, because, in my opinion, you and I were created to worship. Uh, our word worship actually comes from an old English uh, word, which is worth-ship, Worth meaning value, ascribing value to something, and ship meaning the position or the relationship between. If you put them together, it's worship is to ascribe value to something. And so if you're uh, religious, then when you worship, you're actually ascribing ultimate value to something. That's what it means to worship that thing. We're actually prone to limit the definition, though, to say, um, you know, worship is uh, singing songs at church, or it's praying, or it's kneeling. But worship isn't just like a church thing. It's actually a human thing. It's a human thing. It's the thing that we do. It's the longing that we have to give away um, what we value, to, to put something or to place a value or, on something else. And I, one of the things I love about this is it actually tells us something about our orientation to the world, which is that we're not primarily thinkers, right? Uh, I, I know a lot, there's a lot of very smart people in here, go to school, have a lot of degrees, but the truth is, is we're not primary, primarily thinkers, we're primarily lovers. And there's something actually really beautiful and freeing about that. And so to be human is to worship, or we could say worship is actually our purpose, Worship is actually our purpose. And so what I want to do, regardless of what it is you believe, you're drawn in, right? Everybody worships. To be human is to worship. Uh, Let's do a little diagnostic here. Um, Is this worship? Um, Right? Is this worship? Right? The nationalism, the story that my nation is God's nation. Is nationalism a form of worship? Uh, Could this be worship? Like the self, the story that I am the center of my universe, um, to have a very myopic view of the world, right? Because that's what individualism is. It's actually uh, the worship of self to the exclusion of others. What about this? Elizabeth? All right. Is this worship? I had like stock photos and I said, Elizabeth, I don't want to offend you. I know you're the stan of 1D. And so she said, no, I got you, Russell. And so, is this worship? What about the next one? The greatest basketball player to ever play the game? (laughs) Is this worship? 
One more. What about this? What about the mall? What if the mall is one of the, the most religious places forming our lives? Um, author James K. Smith um, has written extensively about this, and you can leave this up here for a few minutes, actually, because um, you don't walk into the mall and they begin shouting all these doctrines or they're handing out like a list of what they believe, but that doesn't make the mall neutral, right? Like, think about the design or the architecture of the mall. Large glass atriums pumping in cool air, then these, like, large pavilions outside mimicking these, like, medieval cathedrals. I think it's a place of worship, right? You walk in, long hallways open up to rich visuals with good lighting, and everything is just screaming at you, buy me, buy me, you got this. This is going to make you happy. This is what your clothes say at the mall, I guess. I don't know. This is going to make you beautiful, right? It's, so it speaks to our longings, right, when we go shopping because we're actually thinking subversively, this is going to actually make me whole. And it's a little invitation to worship, actually. The mall doesn't really care what you think, but it is very much interested in shaping what you love. I think about... Um, kids, like my daughter is three, and I'm just watching the ways that her brain is beginning to be formed and the things that she's doing. Um, and so when a child watches uh, TV for three hours a day, my, my child does not, but when a child watches three hours of TV a day, shops at the mall, goes to school, plays on the iPad, wears clothes from a specific brand, plays toys with toys from that specific brand, did they choose the American dream or did society choose the American dream for them, right? molded into like this little consumer. And I think this is the pathway to worship. Uh, David Foster Wallace actually uh, finishes his previous quote by saying this, worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. Thanks, David Foster Wallace. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You'll feel weak and afraid, and you will need even more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious things about some of these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They're default settings. You and I are worshipers. Everybody worships. Whether you call yourself religious or not, you worship. And I'm not even saying all of these things are bad, but what is it that you are or what is it that we are ascribing value to? Like the dictionary keeps it really benign. Worship is reverent love and ardent devotion and expression of love, but it's so much more than that. There's this um, sort of silly uh, theological um, treatise written, uh, I think it's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Anybody ever read this? Okay, good. I'm glad no one's ever read it. there is this hilarious question. There's like the question of all questions in there. It's what is the chief end of man? And the answer in the, in the booklet is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And no joke, one time I was at a restaurant and I'm this, I was sitting close to this guy. He found out that I was a pastor and we started talking for a while. And he like kind of like nudges me and he's like, watch this. And he, he turns over, his kid is like two, three years old. And he's like, hey, what is the chief end of man? And this kid, like so poised, high-pitched voice was like, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I was like, yo, I, like, I haven't heard that since I got like a C minus in worship in college. <laughs> I haven't heard. So today I want to narrow in on this idea of worship, right? Because I think this is a good, I think this is like a good, like big theological idea, 
But how do we interact with that in the scriptures? And then what does that mean for our lives? How does that begin to flesh out in, into our lives? And so um, I want to narrow in on this idea of worship today, that worship is our response to God's presence. Worship is our response to God's presence. When a person encounters God, they worship. And so when we look at um, the Bible front to back, people are worshiping him in, in, in the Isaiah passage. Um, Isaiah has come up against something larger than him, something outside of himself, and he can't help but respond. And so let's start in Genesis here. We'll, we'll spend a few minutes doing this here. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, amazing and key verse about the monotheistic religions of the world. God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you. Um, I want you I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to make your nations great. I'm going to bless you. And he says, go. Abraham's like, go where? And he's like, I'll tell you once you start going. It's a frustrating times, but Abraham steps out. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, it says this, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Boom. Abram's like, i got to worship. And so he's pushed into new territory and new land. And over and over and over again, Abraham, as he does that, builds altars and worships there. That's his response to God's presence. Uh, in the Exodus narrative, God comes to Moses and he's like, you're going to lead my people out of oppression and slavery. Pharaoh has oppressed my people for far too long. And in Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 15, you actually get a beautiful picture of worship. Uh, you, you may remember this. Uh, Moses parts the Red Sea. The Israelite people walk out of slavery and oppression in Egypt. The water comes crashing down on the Egyptians. And what do they start doing in Exodus chapter 15? They just break out in song. It's really long, too. It, um, one of the things they, they say in there over and over again is that like, the Lord is a man of war. Like Our God is a warrior and a victor. And then after that happens, uh, Moses' sister Miriam busts out the tambourine, and the text says that the women start dancing and playing music. Our God is a victor. The Lord is a man of war. What about King David in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6? This hilarious um, picture of worship. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, like the presence of God is being brought back into the temple in Jerusalem. Long story. If you want to go read more of it, you can later. Um, but David is just like dancing like this crazy person. And his wife like pulls him aside and she's like, you're embarrassing me, dude. Like you can't do this. Um, you're bringing shame to our house. What are you doing? And David's like, I'll dance even more undignified than this. Like, he can't contain it. And what is it? It's worship. It's a response to the presence of God. In the Psalms, the, the Psalms are like this how-to. You get so many lyrics from our, even our modern-day songs, a training ground on how to respond to God in worship. And more than any other uh, book in the Bible, one of the things I love about the Psalms is they actually get at our heart. Right? They get at the emotions that we feel, the things that we experience through song and poetry. You're getting praise and lament and thanksgiving. You see people I mean, yelling at God, declaring their love for God. Sometimes in the same chapter, you're getting these things. You get writers who are depressed and anxious and um, really finding themselves at their wit's end. I don't know if you knew this, but when you, um, when you open up into the New Testament in Luke chapter 1, um, uh, God comes, uh, the angel comes to Mary and, and says, hey, like, you're going to conceive a child. A Savior is to be born. You're, you're going to bear the Savior of the world. Like, can you imagine that? It's terrifying, right? You're like a 14-year-old girl. And in Luke chapter 1 is a song called The Magnificent. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's got to be terrifying, right? And she's like, 
My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She worships because God has showed up. In the book of Acts, the early church, a formality begins to actually take place in, in terms of worship, rhythms and details and specifics and gathering dates, because they're like, we got to actually get organized on this thing. If we're going to respond to God properly, let's do it in an organized way. And then what about the book of Revelation? Uh, book of Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 7 are this like mysterious account. It's it's crazy to read it. These visions, four living creatures, the angels, the elders, all of creation, heaven and earth, all doing what? Look, look at the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All over the pages of scripture, what is it? People bumping into, having an encounter with God, and what are they finding out about themselves over and over and over again? They're finding their deepest meaning they're finding their identity. They're finding their sense of significance when they choose to center their very person on Jesus. Over and over and over again, they come and they say, who am I? What does it mean to respond to God? How do I respond? Center your life around Jesus. And that's what Christians are. Christians are people who worship Jesus, who say, I give my deepest allegiance and authority over to the person of Jesus. And so... What about our passage um, today? Uh, when Holly was reading it, I was standing in the back and I was trying to get a visual. Like you almost have to read this passage of scripture with your eyes closed because it's so intense. There's so much going on. So I want to read it, uh, the first five verses here uh, again to us and kind of walk through it. In the year that King Uzziah died, um, uh, King Uzziah is a, a, a mostly in the Bible um, um, faithful king. And then in um, Second Chronicles, I can't remember where it is, he actually, um, he gets prideful. And he burns incense to God when only the priest can. And so um, this marker is uh, sort of a, a way of ushering in a new king. It's marking time. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It's like this massive robe. Above him stood the seraphim. Uh, seraphim, like the root word there, it, it means actually just like fire. Um, and so maybe the picture you get are sort of like these like fire angels. I, I'm not exactly sure uh, the meaning. I, don't, I, I got kind of a Lord of the Rings picture when I was thinking about it. Um, and what we actually find here is that they have six wings. Two, they're covering their face. Um, scholars believe that's because they're in the presence of God. Even something uh, holy or close to God still can't look at God because God is so holy and so righteous. And so that's the, the, the mental image that's being given. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So the first thing I... I see in this passage is that worship is dialogical. Worship is dialogue, meaning there is a conversation being had between God and his people. And the beautiful thing about this is that God is active in prompting our worship. He's active in receiving our worship, and he's actually active in perfecting our worship. And so God actually, if you read the passage in this sense, God is actually revealing himself first to Isaiah, and then Isaiah is responding to that revelation. And the order matters here. God speaks, we respond. 
In fact, it's, it's really important that we think of it this way because we actually don't start anything when we worship. We're responding in worship. So I don't know if I'm weird by, by doing this, but when I was in, um, when I was in fifth grade, um, every day um, I would come home and I would talk on the phone with my friend Brian. Um, my parents... Um, we would clog up the line. I'm getting older, and so this is like before cell phones. And so he'd come home, and you have one line. You know, there's, not, there's no other line to go on. And so my dad was getting so frustrated at us, he bought us our own phone line for Christmas one year. And so 623-780-8704, that was my phone number. Um, and every day I'd come home, and I'd talk to my friend Brian on the phone. Hours. Like, anybody else, please don't tell me I'm alone, okay? Like, tell me you had a friend. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, maybe you still do, do this with somebody, but um, I think Katie and I actually did this uh, when, when we first started dating, but you just stay on the phone, and like, even if you start doing something else or you're distracted, um, you just stay on the phone. Like, there could be like, minutes you know, where there's just, like, gaps in silence. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this actually is kind of a weird practice, um, but I think worship is sort of like this. The line is open because God started the conversation. God called, and the line is open right? And so worship is actually a place where we find that God is a devoted conversationalist. Worship is a place where we find that God is a devoted conversationalist. What is Isaiah doing? He had an encounter with the presence of God. Like, you read the passage, and of course, like, it's intense, but Isaiah is responding to magnitude, to glory, to greatness, to beauty, to, like, intensity, but he sees something of who God is, and he can't help but respond. And that's actually what we're doing when we're worshiping. We're, we're taking in, we're saying, God, I actually am I'm, I'm understanding right now in one sense, even if it's just in my head, I'm understanding what you're doing, what you've done, how you've spoken, and worship is dialogue back to him. And so I just want to pause here because I think that um, we, can, we can keep so much information in our heads we are in dialogue, right? Like even right now, as like we're here, we're present, we, we showed up today and in, in one place or another, we said, God, I want to hear from you today. Like if you're real, if you're out there, like I'm placing myself in a place where I want to be known. And God's like, yeah, I've already been speaking, join the conversation. Like isn't that beautiful, isn't that amazing that God wants to be known in that way? Isaiah like walks in and he's like, I've, I've seen something awesome and big and holy. And then what happens to him? Verse 5. He's like, oh, I found out who I am now. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah sees God, and then Isaiah sees himself, right? He sees God, and then he sees himself. I'm unclean. I'm sick. I'm all alone without God. Like, is that how you approach worship? Where God is big, where you realize that, that God is incredible. I, I, sometimes when you think about it this way, um, coming into a space like this, the, the posture is, is almost like, God, I need you, like I'm, I'm seeing who you are and I need you to help me give because I seem in, incapable of giving. Like you come into a place like this and you're like, God, I need you to help me love other people because I seem incapable of it. That's actually what happens when we look at God because he's so perfect at those attributes and those values. And then we find like, hey, actually I'm here to learn how to do that because I just, I seem incapable of doing it. And meeting, Isaiah meeting God meant God speaking to him. 
He's still in conversation, and I believe that, that God still speaks. Uh, the writer of Hebrews starts off Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these days he has spoken to us by his son. I don't want to get into this too much, but God, God is speaking. Like That's what we still believe, that, that God is actually still in conversation, that he still has things to say. Um, Carl Barth is a theologian. He talks about um, the, the threefold word, that the, the word of God is made flesh in the person of Jesus, that the word of God is written, that we actually have it physically in Scripture, why it's, why it's actually important to read Scripture, and then that the word of God is proclaimed, it's, it's preached. We're talking about who God is. Uh, a small example of this, um, when we started service today, um, Josh um, marked time for us, right? Uh, he, was, he was doing little tunes, and then he had a call to worship. You had to be in here on time, right, to, uh, to hear it, a little jab right there. Um, but what is it? It's, it's worship is a God-initiated meeting between God and his people. It's a God-initiated meeting between God and his people, and that call to worship is a way of marking time. Like, you came here on the train, you came here frustrated, you came here worried about work tomorrow, and when you came in, you said, boom, I'm actually not here to do whatever that was. I'm actually here to mark time. I'm here to worship now. The time is different, right? That's, what a call, that's why a call to worship is so important. We don't want to start our service off by saying, hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome. I, that would be okay because the line is open, I guess, but actually it's better to mark time and to say we're actually here for a reason and a purpose, and we want to mark time in that way. And so let me pause here because um, mentally you might have some pushbacks, right? Like uh, one of the things I was thinking about this week is like when the, in the realm of worship is like, is God insecure that he needs people to worship him in this way, like that he needs the adoration and the affection of other people. And I thought, no, 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 The crazy thing about God is he's so perfectly secure that he's not afraid to be left out on the line. That's how secure God is. He can place himself out there where you and I would say, you know what, I would only give that person a little bit of my affection. I would only put my heart out there so far because what if they break it, right? God is so perfectly secure that he's like, I'm all out on the line and I love when people worship me. And God is open to that rejection because he's so good. Or maybe you'd say, Russell, you're telling me that God is an avid conversationalist, but I've never heard him speak to me. And that's real. I, I, I actually think that that's real. Some of us really have that wrestling. Like, I've had friends that have heard the audible voice of God, and like, it, I just, uh, it just bugs me. Like, I don't know if I even believe them or uh, if that says something about me. Like, I want to hear the voice of God. And one of the things I was thinking about this week is like, have you asked him? Have you asked him? Like, we're going to sing a bunch of songs at the end. Like, we're going to leave this bunch of free time open to worship. And maybe the, maybe the most important thing that you could do today is sit into your chair and to just close your eyes and to pray, God, I want to hear from you. Speak to me. I need direction in this area. Like, I want, I want to understand what you're saying and apply it to my life. Like, sometimes I get frustrated when a friend will say that to me, like, oh, God told me to do this. I'm like, well, how? Like, how did you do that, you know? Well, have you asked, right? I don't, I don't want to minimize what, what that, um, maybe that uh, void you feel in that way, but have you asked him? God, would you speak to me? I want to say one more thing here. Um, verses five through eight. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal, that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth 
and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And he said, Here, I'm, here I am, send me. And so this like, worship experience that Isaiah has has changed him, right? The encounter has left him changed. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then he's sent out when he encounters the presence of God. There's like a level of transformation or change or maybe what we'd say is like formation taking place. And worship is, is both formation and counterformation, right? Worship is both formation and counterformation. Like when, when we're here and we're a part of this, and, and furthermore, like worship is also a lifestyle. You're being sent out of here. But this, when we're here like corporately, we're actually in school, we're learning how to respond to God. So I had this amazing mentor in high school. Um, he was a pastor who spent uh, two hours a week with me on Friday mornings. His name is Dustin, a huge part of my life. And um, I don't know, I must have been, I think I would have been like a sophomore in high school um, at this point. And he had us reading this book, which I probably had no business reading at this time, but it's a book by a man named Brother Lawrence, uh, The Practice of the Presence of God. Just this like deep, intense book, like endlessly deep. And he gave us this one assignment, our our pastor, not Brother Lawrence, that would be amazing. Um, But our pastor told us, "Um, here's what I want you to do. Um, This is before phones, and so he gave us each a pen and a paper, and he said, I want you to go into the grocery store and practice the presence of God for one hour. And he said, write down how you see God at the grocery store. And like anything in the grocery store that could remind you to God, that could um, relate to God, it could be a scripture verse, like whatever it is, like I'm not telling you how to do it, just go do it. Practice the presence of God in the grocery store. And like the first 15 minutes were like so easy. I'm like, I'm going to the bread, right? Like the bread of life. Like I'm like so literal. Sorry, I'm like, I was a sophomore, all right? So then I'm like, boom, wine, communion, sacrifice, blood. I'm like, I'm like, it's 15 minutes. Like that's all I got, you know? I don't even know what I ended up doing. Like go to the Oreos and like, like contrast, dark and night, like honey nut Cheerios, taste and see the Lord is good. Broccoli, the tree of life. Uh, Austin mentioned sushi this morning, like wrap or clothe yourself in righteousness. Like I have no idea. Like I have no idea, but it was brilliant actually what we ended up doing because um, one, he was actually testing us in one sense about how we understood and knew the scriptures, right? Because like that was what we were pulling from in all of these things. But what I realized now is that it was an act of worship. How do you go into a space and realize that God is already there, that he can meet you there, and that you can find him there? And it was just like this really small exercise to see that whatever formation in my life took place up until that point met at this like little test about practicing the presence of God. Um, Siona's not here today, uh, but a couple weeks ago, our friend Siona, um, she came up to me and she said, Russell, this giving liturgy is fire. And I was like... Okay, she goes, sometimes I just sit on the train and I just say the giving liturgy. And I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing, but I'm gonna be really honest. Like, you gotta be insane to say this. Like, I, I think, yeah, here we go. Father, you are an abundant giver. Okay, that's like a theological claim. There's nothing I have that you have not given me. Like, are you, do you wrestle with, I wrestle with that. Like, I earned some of this stuff that I have, you know? All I have and am belong to you that is in, these are insane things to say. Like, no, no normal person just says these things out loud. 
free me from the deceit of riches? I don't need to be freed. I need to, I need to get some of these, this money so I can buy an apartment. You know, like, no, this, this is crazy. And go to the, go to the last one. I, we, I think we went through all those. Look at this last one. Amen. You know what amen means? It means facts. <laughs> amen means facts, certainty, truth, right? And so worship is formation, but worship is also counterformation, right? What we're doing is counter, this is counter to the way that anyone else is going to teach you about money. This, uh, this is what we believe that God says about money, and we believe that these things will, um, will ultimately lead you to a life that's, um, that's better and true. But that is not an easy thing to say. That is not an easy thing to say, but we say it because sometimes we have to say stuff before we believe it. Oftentimes we have to say stuff before we believe it. We rehearse it, and then we believe it. We rehearse it, and then we believe it. So like with Isaiah, like his sin is being atoned for. There's like a moment, but do you think his sin needs to be atoned for again? Yeah, it does. But like he needs to practice that. He needs an opportunity to meet God, to come face to face with God so that he can practice so that it comes more naturally to him. David models this um, really well all throughout the Psalms, but specifically in Psalm chapter 13. Uh, it's, It's very short, but he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long? Look on me. Give me your direction. Verse five, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. What? Dude, you make, you make no sense. What are you talking about? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? Well, like, then you just said he answers? It seems so simplistic, right? No, worship is formation. Worship is a way of practicing what you believe. It's school where we're learning and telling ourselves how it is that we should live. It's almost like he's talking himself into the truths that we want to believe. And I think this is one of the most important things that we do in corporate worship is that we practice what we love. The best thing we can do in corporate worship is practice what we love. Um, a couple years ago, uh, my niece is 14 now. Um, her name is Maya. And um, a couple years ago, she was with Katie and I. And it was like, I don't know why we chose to do this, but we said, yeah, come, like, come be with us for a couple weeks. And she got homesick. I, she might have been like eight or nine years old. And uh, she was getting homesick at our house. And she was starting to panic. And she was like staring out the window a lot and looking really sad. And I was like, is she okay? And um, Katie, is, Katie is so amazing. She set up this um, like safe area for her in our house. And um, this like this little table in the corner, or like chair in the corner where she could just sit and, and breathe. And I went in and I, I, I went and sat next to her. She was like having this panic attack. And I just said, honey, like, is there anything you need? And she says, uncle, my, my heart is beating so fast, like out of my chest. I, I don't know what it is. And then Katie came in with like this little piece of paper and pinned it to the wall. And as she's like crying and panicking, and there were just four sentences on it. And it just said, I'm safe, I'm calm, I'm loved, and I can handle this. I'm safe, I'm calm, I'm loved, and I can handle this. And I'm like, yo, she's not any of those things. Put that away, you know? Like, don't, do not do that. What are you trying to do over here? Like, let her breathe. And... She's like, Maya, say these truths. I'm safe, I'm calm, I'm loved, and I can handle this. Just, just say it. And speaking these truths out loud, it was like holding up this truth so she could live into the truth, right? Hold up the truth so she could live into it. Was she calm? No. Was she in control? No. Did she believe she was loved in that moment? No. But as she said these things, she began to believe them, and she began to calm down. And so she had to practice it so that she could believe it. 
And that's what we're doing in church. We're rehearsing truth so it can rise up and be believed. And so we're just saying, come thou fount. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Yes, check, right? Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's like these beautiful lines saying, God, here's what's going on in my heart. I'm placing myself before you. We're gonna sing a song in a minute um, called To You. And it says, and I won't be satisfied with temporary pleasures. I want to taste and see in full, yes I do. What I've known, only known in measures, I'm coming back to you. Like, I don't know if I believe these things all the time when I say them. It's powerful to sing these things out loud together, but what are we doing? We're practicing so that we can believe it. We're going to sing a song at the end. Since your love, you are my love, no one before you. Like, you could say that every day, over and over and over again. You are my love, no one before you. All that I am points to you, and I was made by you, and I was made for you. And so, worship is formation and counterformation. And the truth is, is all of life is worship, right? I know we want to delineate time with the call to worship, and sometimes we're like, hey, like, I like that one hour where I can be like a Christian, and like I can get encouraged, and I can like fill that box, and then I can move on, right? It doesn't work like that. All of life is worship, but corporate worship has a way of training us and preparing us for life with God during the week. And, and we should be doing that personally, right? We should be worshiping personally. I think we do that differently. Is serving worship? Yes. Is giving worship? Yes. Is preaching worship? Yes. Is eating food together worship? Yes. Is fasting worship? It is. All of life is worship, and we need to practice together. And so that's what I want us to do. The band is going to come up. Um, and the phrase that I'm kind of, uh, I want us to lean into is like the freedom to worship. Like I know for, for us in the room, you, you may not be like, hey, I'm, you know, I, I love to sing out loud together. I, I love this song or I know this song. Um, but I want you to know that you have the freedom uh, to worship during this time. They're going to sing four songs. I don't know, maybe they'll sing more. Um, during this time, I don't think this is always the best practice, but the, the communion cups are at your seat. And um, you have the freedom to take that today. Um, knowing that Jesus' body and blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sin, and, and maybe that would actually really root um, your, your time, that's free. If you want to stand, stand. If you want to sit, sit. If you want to kneel, if you want to lay prostrate in the corner, like that's biblical, I guess, um, you can do that. Um, wherever you are today, like have the freedom to worship. Um, if you want to, um, when you take communion, if you want the scripture, um, Mark 14 22 to 25, Mark 14, 22 to 25. You can read that as you um, take communion. Um, I'm going to just be standing over here in the corner. Um, if you want to pray or if you need prayer for something going on in your life, um, the freedom is there. And um, I want us to be able to do that together. I want to leave you from the, this quote here from Brother Lawrence. It says, He does not ask much of us, merely a thought of Him from time to time, a little act of adoration sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces past and present he has bestowed upon you. In the midst of troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. Let's pray. So God, I just pray that you'd be in our midst, 
that your son Jesus would be um, the object of our worship, the very center. We're not here to just think about ourselves, but we actually want to respond and give back. That small way, one need not cry out very loudly. You are nearer than we think. And so God, as we sing, would you receive it? As we pray, would you hear us? May the words that we sing sink really deep into our hearts so that we can walk out of here trained, full, ready to go, knowing that you are God and we are your people. It's in your name we pray. Amen.